Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we talk about places you can stuff some of your cash, as well as some year-end planning tips. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Dan, good to see you. Ross, good to see you as well. It is uh, mid-December, late December at this point when when this episode airs. I think we've only got uh, one or two more left for the year. Uh, and I guess we started our show in February, but we're, we're just about at our first year of being podcasters. That's crazy. It went very quickly. Yeah. I mean, it's been really a uh, a shockingly fast year. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to chat about with you before we kind of get into our main topics today, which is some year-end planning stuff, uh, some things you can do with your cash. But Morgan Housel had a tweet. This was just a, a couple days. Actually, yesterday, excuse me. We're recording on Tuesday. And he was talking about the market decline in 2020, that it was the fastest 30% decline in history, but it was so short-lived and the rally after it was so strong that people basically ignored it. And that really rang true to me when I read it because, you know, it's been a volatile market. And I think people are noticing that more this year than last year when we had a really, really sharp drawdown, but I don't think that we really heard about it. And he kind of suggests that the health risks and what was going on with workplace and where people were and how you know sharply we were all adjusting to the change in life might have just distracted us from the fact that our portfolios were all getting crushed. But I think that's kind of interesting. Now, in fairness, as someone who was an advisor during that pullback in 2020, I definitely heard about it from a lot of people. But I think what's true is people shut up about it really quickly. Like that is a distant, distant memory at this point because a 30% pullback is dramatic. Like that is a, you know, once in a decade, if not more, type of event, at least as quickly as that happened. And, you know, that's not a part of our narrative anymore. It, as you said, rebounded so quickly, and we've just moved on to different things from that point. Well, what I think is interesting about it is when we're kind of having the stress test conversation or the risk tolerance conversation, the period we're still talking about is 2008. We're still using that as the metric of what is your actual stomach acid. And I think for a couple reasons, one, it introduced really two pieces. It was job insecurity as well as financial insecurity in the markets, which granted, there have been plenty of folks that have had job insecurity last year, but there was a bunch of money that flooded into the system, both through these like PPP loans, huge influxes to unemployment benefits, right? It just hasn't felt like what we went through in 2008 in terms of not being able to find work, or if you were out of work, not being able to find any cash flow. Right, which that was really what caused all of the that that piece of it. 
I think the housing element of it was also drastically worse in 2008 that people were underwater in their homes. They might have been being foreclosed on, right? We've got all of that nonsense. And then a market correction that took all the way until 2012 to recover from, right? I mean, that from from peak to, to trough, you know, back up, you needed to wait quite a while. And and so I think the length of the decline was was what made it feel worse. And the like global impact of this pandemic is is relatable to everyone. So, you know, in 2008, perhaps there were pockets of people who weren't directly feeling the impacts, which made it harder to sit and look at your portfolio go down while everyday life for you may be normal. But there was no sense of normalcy in March and April of 2020. Yeah, it's. I think it's an interesting lesson. I don't know that I have a pure takeaway from it because it does seem like now when we're going through a risk tolerance questionnaire, especially if you're working with a younger investor, to go back and say, well, how did you feel in 2008? They might say to you, well, I wasn't investing in 2008. I had no no relevant indicator of what was going on financially other than the fact that people were worried. And And so I think it's so far in the rearview mirror, particularly for younger investors, that it may not be an accurate way to judge ourselves. And um, we've talked about this a little bit before, but the the other issue is even if you've gone through a 30% decline or a 45% decline before, if it was a decade or more ago, the likelihood is that you've got way more money in dollar terms invested today. 25-30% means more to you today in dollars. So even if you've seen that kind of decline before, I think it's so, so important to continually refresh as you're getting within that five-year window of retirement to kind of reassess and start to de-risk. It doesn't have to be all at once, but that's really our threshold on when we start to de-risk a portfolio because you're starting to make that preparation, kind of that final descent so that you stick the landing. So... um in in my mind, that that's the most important thing. Yeah, I agree. And again, 2008 was 13 years ago at this point. That's a long time. So looking back one year, you can. It's a lot easier to be honest with yourself about what you did during a pullback versus creating some fantasy about you know holding tight while stocks were going down. People have short memories about what they've actually done versus what they think they did. A hundred percent. So speaking of, you know, the other side of that is what do you have in safe assets? And we've kind of been in this cash is trash world for a long time, right? You're getting a half a percent on a high yield savings account. Uh, and, and If you're super lucky. Yeah. And we're supposed to feel good about that. Like that's a, that's a big win. We're going to talk today about an alternative. And this has gotten published a lot in kind of the financial media, but I want to make sure our audience is aware of it which is an alternative if you've got a little bit of cash sitting around and you're looking to put some of it to work. Don't tell me we're talking about bonds, Ross. We are talking about bonds, specifically I-bonds. Man, I-bonds. That's not an Apple product, by the way. <laughs> I know that is such a cheeseball joke. I'm sorry. I couldn't stop myself from saying it. That's all right. Well, we'll forgive you. You get a pass. You're a, a doggy dad. You get You get to make dad jokes too. Oh my gosh. All right. So Dan, what's an I-bond? Well, an I-bond is issued directly by the Treasury and uh, so backed by the full faith and credit of our U.S. of A. And it's a bond that pays basically based on two components. It's got a fixed rate component, which varies depending on when you're purchasing it. 
Right now, by the way, that fixed rate, big old goose egg. Zero. Zero is the fixed rate. So your guaranteed income is zero. Did I say how excited I was about bonds? Yeah, guaranteed zero for the long haul. But the second component is an inflation-based rate. And guess what? What other word has been in the news constantly is inflation. And because we've seen such large inflation numbers, that inflation component of I-bonds today is meaningful. So if this minute you logged on to Treasury Direct to purchase an I-bond, you would see that you would get a big old zero for your fixed rate, but the annualized uh, rate on that inflation component is 7.12%. 7.12 for a US-issued bond. So if you're like me and you've been staring at that half a percent savings account going, man, this sucks, but I know I need to be still sitting on some cash for reasons, right? This is an interesting alternative because uh, it's not the same as cash, by the way. There is a term to them. Now, in theory, it's actually a 30-year-long bond, which that's a very long time. I'm not sure that I would sign up for that. But you have a bunch of areas where you can redeem it with a little bit of a haircut. So after 12 months, after you've owned it for a year, you can surrender or sell back an I-bond by basically surrendering your last three months of interest. So that that's a really interesting proposition, right? Because if you're if you're getting 7% versus a half a percent on your savings account, obviously that's a no-brainer. Even if you have to give up three months of 7% interest, you're going to smoke the half a percent savings account. Uh, so this is actually something that I personally uh, did today, just earlier today. Uh, I wanted to go through it and experience it for the first time so that I could actually talk about that on our show. Uh, and it was something I was planning to do by year end anyway. So I created a Treasury Direct account for the first time today and bought an iBond. So Ross, you are now the proud owner of a Treasury Direct login. I am. And that was actually one of the weird things about it. So you go through the sign-up process. And on the final registration page, it's like, congratulations, you've registered, basically. It doesn't get... like it, It's clear that this website has not been optimized for like user experience and wasn't built by people that are really thinking that way. So it's kind of like, yeah, you did it. And then I'm like, okay, well, can I log in? So I go back and I find the login page. And it immediately asks me for like an account number. And I was like, what is my account number? Now, they've emailed it to me. I did actually have it. But at no point was it like, I don't know, maybe in the super fine print. But it it wasn't obvious to me that they were like, okay, great. We're going to send you an account number. And then you're going to be able to log in. So it does that. And then this is the weirdest thing about it. I'm not sure why it does this. On the password page, it is a virtual keyboard that you click with your mouse on the letters. I am having flashbacks to third grade computer class. Like That's all I can envision is sitting in a computer lab with a wonky thing like that clicking on a virtual keyboard. It, it was so strange. Now, I don't know if that's because at the time they built this, they were worried about keystroke loggers or something that was going to like steal people's passwords. That's like the only thing in my head that would have had them build it this way because just who does that? And then also, 
it was like only capital letters for like where I thought my password was like partially uppercase, partially lowercase. I don't know. It was a very, very interesting user experience for me going through it for the first time. So you had just created your password moments ago. (laughs) And then you immediately proceeded to get it wrong in entering it, trying to log in? No, I I didn't get it wrong. It's just that when I had typed it to set it, I had both capitals and lowercase. And then I believe it's only capitals because then when I get to this virtual keyboard thing, I didn't have an opportunity for lowercase and it still let me in. So there was definitely some some room for improvement on the Treasury Direct website. I think room for improvement should just be the slogan for <laughs> for the United States government. <laughs> room for improvement. I thought you were going to make a comment on our podcast. Should that be the name of our podcast is room for improvement? That's probably I mean, true. That too. could be our, our subtitle. All right. So we've kind of covered the reasons why you would do this. Obviously, it's a much higher yield on money that you're kind of keeping in reserve that you're not really looking to put to work in equities something we think you should maybe consider. There are limitations. You can put into these things $10,000 per person in a calendar year. So it's not like you can go crush hundreds of thousands of dollars, if that's the situation you're in, into I-bonds in the next few months. Um, But if you're a married couple, you could do two individual logins. You could do $10,000 this year. So that's 20 total. You could do it again as soon as you get to the other side of New Year's. And this current rate that we're in is effective until April of 2022. So anything you buy between now and April 2022 is going to be assigned to that current rate. So definitely an opportunity if you wanted to do for a married couple up to $40,000 and you've got that cash sitting around and it's unlikely that you would need it at all in the next year but you still want to be sitting on some cash or some very safe assets. We think this is worth looking at. Now, Dan, what happens after April 2022? After April 2022, they reset the rate. So if you're a holder of these bonds, your inflation component will switch to whatever that reset rate is. Now, they won't take away what you've earned through that period, but going forward, you'll earn whatever going rates are for that next cycle. So even if we're being uber conservative, And assuming the inflation component goes to zero, that's still an effective 3.5 something. (laughs) (laughs) Love when I do math on the fly. I I love watching you do the mental math too. But yeah, you're still going to get a 3% yield just for the first six months. Right. Which I think anyone would take if that's all you knew you were getting from the get-go. So if you're like a lot of people I've been talking to and have kind of a emergency reserve that's higher than it needs to be and are perpetually accumulating some cash but don't know what you want to do with it, but you know you don't want to commit it to something more risky, this is a great solution for you. And there is an opportunity to get you know, tens of thousands of dollars into a bond like this. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely worth looking at. For some people, that limitation of 10000 per person is no big deal because they're not going to be anywhere near that limit and that and they're very comfortable with that. That's totally fine. For others, it may feel like they just can't get enough money into this thing to have it make sense for them. We realize there's going to be extremes on on kind of all of those spectrums. But uh, if you're looking for a place to park cash, I'd give it a look. And you can start with as little as $25 if you're, if you're purchasing online. So 
there is a lot of room in here to take advantage of this opportunity. What are the chances that I keep handy the account number that I apparently will need to log into this thing and I can ever get back into the website? There is no chance and I cannot wait until you have to call whoever is on the other side of that support line to figure out how to get in. I bet that's a hold time I'm looking forward to. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I still haven't reset my social security login, so I'm deferring that pain until later as well. So Dan, let's talk about some year-end stuff. You were recently, uh, or last week, on the Motley Fool Money Show with Chris Hill, which was a great interview, and uh, certainly thanks to Chris for for reaching out. He's been a friend to, to our show and, and a good guy, and we very much appreciate his support. Uh, but I thought the interview was great, and uh, I think we're going to recap a little bit of that stuff, but hopefully go uh, even a step deeper. What are some of the things that are changing going from 2021 into 2022 that we should make people aware of? Sure. So we were on the verge of a lot changing. They were talking about everything under the sun changing. And it was a big topic of conversation for months and months. And after all of that, they weren't really able to move the dial on anything, which I think is is probably a good thing because we can calm down for a minute and focus on ourselves rather than worrying about tax law changes or at least sweeping overhaul. The one thing that we do know is changing is 401k contribution limits are going up by $1,000. Woohoo! Yep, pop the champagne. You can you can defer a little bit more money into your 401ks. So if you find that you are constantly contributing the maximum into your 401ks, it's a good opportunity to schedule to log into your benefits website increase your deferral amount before your first paycheck goes through. So you're going to take full advantage of that additional $1,000. Now, the one thing... So I, I definitely think... I like that idea of scheduling, actually, where you know, whenever your last paycheck of 2021 gets cut, just put something on your calendar for the next day to go in and make that adjustment. For a high-income earner, that also phases out of Social Security, I will just warn you that that's sometimes an ugly reminder in January. The first $142,800 in 2021 is what gets taxed in terms of income against Social Security. So when you get above that level, it actually just stops coming out of your paycheck. That returns in January. Uh, and 2022, that number is also changing, and that's going to 147000 so you'll be taxed on the first $147,000 of income for the Social Security system. So uh, if you are taking those contributions up, and we definitely hope that if you're in that position to take advantage of it, that you can do that. But also remember that you may see a little bit of a reduction in your take-home pay as a result of that Social Security tax being reapplied in January. It can never be simple with taxes. No, it's it's so confusing. And that's just an ugly surprise, right? You feel like you did everything right. And, and then in January, it basically feels you, like you got a pay cut. And you're like, what just happened here? Right? So it's one of those things where if you've gotten used to that income stream that had gone up a little bit, um, it can just be an ugly reminder. What else is going on? Anything else that uh, our listeners need to be paying attention to as they, as they cross the threshold into the new year? I think as we approach the end of the year, a, a couple things I mentioned on Motley Fool Money that are, are worth remembering are uh, this year, even if you don't itemize your deductions on, on your taxes, you can still make a charitable contribution and deduct it up to $300 if you're an individual filer or 600 for a joint filer. 
So if you're traditionally inclined to make gifts, but have been waiting until you can itemize, this is a good year to, to do something if you were looking for a reason to. Which is also an, an exercise in record keeping, right? I, I give my mom a hard time because my mom is is kind of a put some cash in the you know Salvation Army bin kind of person. I'm mm-hmm. like, mom, you should pay attention to that type of stuff and keep records of it. And she's like, yeah, whatever. But the fact that you can deduct that 300 or $600, having that record of it so that you can prove it is important. So uh, definitely keep good records. It's time to sort through that inbox and find out who you donated $15 to for this and $20 to for that. And then the other thing, you know, 2020 and 2021 have been a pretty traumatic year for many as far as income goes. And I think for a lot of people, that means taking in less income than they otherwise would have. Uh, While that's never fun, it could provide some interesting opportunities at year end for tax planning. Uh, So it's worth remembering or or knowing, if you didn't before, that there actually is a 0% long-term capital gains tax bracket. So if your income falls below the point where you can pay 0% on long-term capital gains, it could be an attractive opportunity to get out of some stocks that have seen really large run-ups without having to pay those taxes. And by the way, you can buy them back immediately afterwards, resetting your basis to where they are today and basically avoiding the tax on all the gains up until this point. So if you're a single filer and your taxable income is 40400 or below, or you file jointly and you're at 80800 or below, you could potentially sell stocks and pay 0% on gains. I mean, that's huge, right? There are very few tax-free wins in this country. Roth IRAs are one of them, and low-income years where you can realize some tax harvesting on the gain side is another one. And I I think it's one of the more underappreciated aspects. Uh, You and I talk a lot about the after-tax brokerage account being an attractive option and I love it for so many reasons, right? It gives you flexibility. We're not having to wait until 59 and a half. It, you know, if you want to start a business, if you want to take a gap year, if you want to do anything that requires access to capital kind of in the midterm, you still want to invest it, but you're not sure what you're going to use it for. I really love those accounts. And uh, this is one more reason to like them. Technically, an individual brokerage account is not quote unquote tax advantaged. But I think there are a lot of things about it that are, in fact, tax advantaged, as indicated by this 0% tax rate. And even if you didn't fall in under that criteria and qualify for 0%, you can still pay favorable rates on long-term gains. So you know, if that's missing from your overall financial picture, I would make sure to find a way to build that into it over the, the near term if you can. Yeah, because even though an IRA is going to give you tax deferral today... And then tax deferred growth. When it comes out, it's all taxes ordinary income, which is for a lot of folks, at least that we're working with, is still at a pretty meaningful rate, right? It's tough to get your income to fall super, super low, even though that's kind of the idea. Then you've got RMDs to contend with. Uh, I don't know. I, I I just like the taxable brokerage account. I'm I'm very much a fan of that in in terms of flexibility and and planning. Me too. And in a similar vein, looking at end-of-year planning, if your income was impacted, it could also be an attractive year for a Roth conversion if you can move money from your pre-tax accounts into a Roth IRA at low tax rates as well. Now, if you're doing a Roth conversion, 
make sure that you're planning to set aside the money to pay the taxes. That's one of the areas where I do see people get in trouble and they don't have it set aside and then maybe it's a scary tax bill. And generally, you don't want to do a Roth conversion unless you've got the money outside of the IRA. Because if you have to use the money that's from your IRA to pay the taxes, it it basically compounds the amount of taxes that you're paying. Because you have to then pay taxes on the conversion you wanted to do, plus additional taxes on the converted amount, on, on, the, on the tax amount, essentially. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's an ugly problem that I don't think most people expect or want to have. So having some money outside of the IRA structure to pay those taxes, really, really important for most people to do it. Understanding your taxable income year by year can be difficult. And judging where you're going to fall and how this 0% capital gains rate will impact you and where a Roth conversion will put you and how those might play together, all can be complicated. You should talk to your tax advisor to make sure you're doing what's right for you and not confusing anything and putting yourself in a tough spot. So I think that gives people plenty to think about. A spot to maybe put some of your cash. If you've got a few weeks left to make a couple tax moves that might or might not work for you. Uh, Other than that, I think people should just enjoy the holidays. Hopefully, they're able to spend some time with family and friends and and to do so safely this year. I know it's crazy. It, It feels like all of the you know, uh, hype and and concern around travel is like popping back into the world. And that's definitely not where uh, I thought we would be or wanted to be at this point. But, um, you know, hope everybody out there staying safe and and getting to enjoy. And I hope you're not paying extra to your 2% mortgage when you can buy a 7.12% I-bond. Boom. Well, if you have any questions for us or have any exciting holiday plans, shoot us a note at checkyourbalances@outlook.com. We look forward to catching up with all of you lovely listeners again next week. 